I'm going to read our scripture for this morning. Uh, Psalm 6 is the text I'm going to read. Psalm 6, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Have you ever been really excited about lunch? Let me see a hand. Have you ever been really excited about lunch? Mm, I could just see it. Burgers and fries, right? Burgers and fries. Maybe it's the leftovers from your favorite restaurant. Mmm, chicken fried rice, maybe. I know I'm making you hungry. Maybe it's a treat you don't get very often. Mmm, cheesesteak. Or maybe it's just your favorite bad for you frozen food like pizza rolls. What's a pizza roll, you might ask? Well, I'm so glad you asked. A pizza roll is, are these. Pizza rolls are little bits of pizza, little bits of sauce and just the right amount of cheese wrapped up in a fried dough shell. They're kind of like the best parts of an egg roll and a pizza all in one. And then they're lovingly baked or microwaved until they're just shy of the temperature of the sun. And you pop them in your mouth and they're really pretty good. Who wants to try one? I've got a helper here that's going to that's gonna hand out some pizza rolls. So if you'd like one, just pop your hand up. I see lots of hands. Bring them up. We've got plenty of pizza rolls. Okay, now I want the rest of you to do this with me. I want you to go, mmm, pizza rolls. Ready? Mmm, pizza rolls. And if you're really going to get into it, you've got to rub your belly and you've got to go, mmm, pizza rolls. I don't quite believe you yet, but we'll get there. Now just imagine with me, you're in your office or you're in your morning class and you're really looking forward to lunch. You're looking at the clock right? 9 a.m. It's only 9 a.m.? Oh, pizza rolls. And then 10 a.m. comes around, and you're like, I'm getting closer to those pizza rolls. Mmm, 11 o'clock, pizza rolls, 11.30, pizza rolls, and finally, it's time. You hop up out of your chair. You're ready for your tasty treat. You go to the refrigerator, and you open it, and the light comes on, and all you can think is, mmm, pizza rolls. But wait, where are my pizza rolls. I don't know if you've experienced this, having your lunch stolen. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you, but let me tell you, it can ruin your day. 
No matter what your favorite lunch item is, I think we can all agree it would be pretty disappointing to bring it with you, look forward to it, to anticipate the taste of it, and then be betrayed by someone who obviously has zero respect for the universal importance of pizza rolls. I'm not saying this has happened to me, but if it did, you might just see a reenactment of Jesus in the temple turning over the tables in anger, yelling, pizza rolls! Just to prove to you that this is a universal source of anger, I found someone who had the exact same situation happen to them. The note you're about to see was left on an office refrigerator by someone who was so angry over pizza rolls that they brought Jesus into it. And the note says this, Jesus didn't steal hot wings and pizza rolls and neither should you. (laughs) So my friends, what gets you angry? Is it injustice, pain, betrayal, pizza rolls? What gets you angry? Because we all have to deal with anger. And in the first few uh, weeks of this series, when it's stormy, Pastor Carl has been encouraging us to confront honestly the feelings that we deal with and then ask the question, what does Jesus want me to do with those feelings? Because we all have to deal with anger sometimes. I'm just going to cover up my pizza rolls for later. And if you didn't get a pizza roll and you want one at the end of the service, you can come see me. Sometimes we might get angry at situations that we have control over, things that we might be able to influence. And sometimes we get angry at situations we can't control. Today we're going to look at some of what the Bible says about anger. Because whether you're facing a situation you can control or one you can't, God has the answer for our anger. Amen? God has the answer this morning. God, please be with us in this place, we pray. Will you lead us closer to you through everything that we've already done and everything we're about to do? Because, God, we want more of you and less of us in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt into the wilderness. He led them out of slavery in Egypt into the wilderness in order to take them to a land that God promised to them a land of prosperity. We're going to take a quick look at their journey from the book of Exodus, and you're going to see this timeline photo on the screen behind me. The timeline highlights a couple of times where the Israelites had to deal with anger and frustration. So I wanted to give you an overview of the book, an overview of some of their journey. When the book of Exodus begins, the Israelites are living in slavery in Egypt. And by slavery, I mean they were literally slaves, controlled, told what to do, and working hard labor in Egypt. They spend about 430 years there. Until one day, God raises up Moses in order to deliver them. Now, I'm skipping over large parts of the story. So if you want to look further into it, you might know some of those details. But if you want to read further, just go to the book of Exodus and you can read along. So in chapter 12, Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt and into the beginning of this journey that we call the Exodus. So you'll see that there, the number two spot on the timeline. For the next several chapters, the people are wandering around a desert wasteland. And this begins to take a toll on them. Instead of focusing 
on God, on the goodness of God, and his promise to lead them to this wonderful better land to call their own, they begin to let frustration get the better of them. Their wilderness wandering gets the better of them. They begin to complain. They begin to grumble. They begin to argue. They begin to get angry. Egypt was so much better than this. It was so much better than this. At least, I mean, sure, we were slaves, but at least they had pizza rolls. All right, maybe they didn't have pizza rolls, but you get it. They were looking at all the stuff that they used to have that they no longer have because now they're out in the wilderness, right? God does these angry people a favor. What does he do? He shows them his faithfulness. He proves to them that he's still there by giving them food to eat, by taking care of their needs. He leads them to water. He gives them food supernaturally. It's an amazing story. And in chapter 19, Moses brings the people to the bottom of Mount Sinai, and he's getting ready to go up and talk to God on the mountain. And the reason that they're there is because God has decided to invite the children of Israel, the people here that are gathered, into a covenant relationship with him. Now, God has always wanted you and I to live in a covenant relationship with him. Have you heard that term before, covenant relationship? God has always intended for us to live that way. A biblical covenant is a binding promise between two parties that work together for a common goal. They move in the same direction. This is what God wants for us, a relationship with him like that. This means in a covenant relationship, the Lord is our God and we are his children. That means two things. We benefit from God's promises to us and we devote our lives to serving him. Now, the specifics of God's covenant in the Bible have changed over time. There are parts of the agreement that have changed, most notably when Jesus went to the cross. He conquered sin and death for us. Now, if that's news to you this morning, I want to invite you to come and find me after the service today. I'd love to tell you more about that. If you haven't been invited into a covenant relationship with God personally, I want to do that for you right now. I want to inv- I'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you start that relationship today. But here we are in Exodus 19. The people of Israel eagerly accept God's invitation into this relationship. And why wouldn't you, right? Because God is saying, here's all this great stuff I'm going to give you because I love you. I just want you to be in relationship with me. And so the people of Israel agree. And Moses goes up and brings back the terms of the agreement. And in the next several chapters, you see the Ten Commandments that God gives them, the rest of the law that God gives them, and all the things that God wants them to have in order to live by his, his laws and his ways in order to prosper and be the kind of people he wanted them to be. And that he's also going to give them plans for the, the tabernacle of God so that God will dwell among his people. He will live with them and go with them. And so this is all happening right here. But in chapter 32, we see the Israelites once again getting frustrated, getting angry. While Moses is up on the mountain, he's talking with God, they get tired of waiting for him. They're angry. And so they say to Moses' brother Aaron, they're like, we don't know what happened to this guy Moses. So we just want you to go ahead and make gods for us to worship instead of us waiting for the God who's promised all this stuff. We're just going to, we're going to go ahead and say, let's go ahead and worship something else. So Aaron gives in to the pressure and he makes them what? A golden calf idol. I don't know if you remember the story, but Aaron makes this, this calf idol for the people to worship. 
And so they start doing that. They start bowing down. They start singing songs. They start having a festival and worshiping this golden calf. Then what happens? Moses comes back down from the mountain. He's just been with God. He's, just, he's got these tablets in his hand of the written word of God, the law of God that he's supposed to give to the people. And he finds the people of Israel worshiping this golden idol instead. So Moses gets angry. And in his anger, he throws these tablets to the ground. He smashes them. Because this is not Yahweh, the God of Israel. This is just a thing that was created in his place. So we see that both the Israelites and Moses are displaying anger here, right? The Israelites angry at being in the wilderness, angry at having to wait. Moses angry at the unfaithfulness of the Israelites worshiping this idol. The book of Exodus is a story of God calling his people out of slavery and into a covenant relationship with him. He still does that for you and me today. He calls us out of slavery to sin and into a covenant relationship with him today. And like I told you, if you need to know more about that, please come see me later. But I think that sometimes we would prefer to take items, take matters into our own hands than answer God on his terms. God calls us into this relationship, and sometimes we want to take matters into our own hands instead. See, even though God repeatedly shows himself faithful to the Israelites, he shows up with manna and quail and water and provisions all the time that they're journeying in the wilderness, even though he shows up and he shows himself faithful, they aren't satisfied. They're wandering in the wilderness, and they say, we want to go back to Egypt. They're waiting by a mountain, and they say, let's make our own version of God. And then Moses gets angry and smashes the tablets of God. Here's what I want you, what I want us, to take away from this story. Being controlled by anger keeps you from enjoying your relationship with God. Being controlled by anger is something that keeps you from enjoying your relationship with God. And not just your relationship itself, but every benefit that comes along with that relationship. I mean, think for a moment. All the promises that God made to the people of Israel. He promised the promised land itself. He promised to deliver them from slavery. He promised to take care of all their physical needs. And then he gave them a covenant relationship and he promised them to to be to be his children, to be his representatives, the people who would show the world who God really is. But in spite of all of these promises, the Israelites are frustrated and angry, and they take matters into their own hands. They take their eyes off of what it truly means to belong to God, and instead of seeking him, they seek to satisfy their anger. Being controlled by anger kept them, and it keeps us from enjoying our relationship with God. So have you ever taken matters into your own hands? Have you ever been the angry one? Have you ever been the one who wrote an angry note on an office refrigerator when your pizza rolls were stolen? Have you ever been the one to violently brake check the person behind you because they got too close on the road? Did I hit too close to home with that one? Have you ever been the one to shout down somebody else because your disagreement with them got too heated? 
Have you ever taken matters into your own hands? I feel like I've done this many times in my life, maybe more times than I can count. If you think that just because I'm a pastor that I don't get angry or I don't know what to do or I always know what to do with my anger, then you would be wrong about that. Dead wrong, unfortunately. I struggle with it just like anybody else. And the sad thing is I need a sermon about anger too. So if I'm going to preach one to anybody else, I've got to make sure I take it to heart first. When I get angry, the first thing I think is, I've got to change this. What can I do about it? Then I go and I chase after whatever I think the problem is. And I give in to my human nature sometimes, because it is our human nature to take matters into our own hands. Now, as I've gotten older, I've realized the value of stopping and resetting, reflecting on what I'm feeling and the situation I'm in, taking a deep breath. Do I always do this? No, absolutely not. I'm still a work in progress. I'm sure you are too. But as someone who needs grace from other people, I've got to learn to give it away freely too. And I want to tell you, there is grace for you today if you deal with anger. There is grace for you today if you deal with anger. But we also know that just because we live under God's grace, that doesn't mean we have freedom to express our anger without restraint. Paul told us that we should not use our freedom to satisfy our sinful desires. And then Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, Paul writes, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. This verse assumes that we are going to get angry. But what do we do with that anger, right? In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't hold on to it. Don't give the devil a foothold, a space to work in your life. Paul says, don't hold on to anger. Don't let it control you. Because if anger is controlling you, then the sad truth is that you're doing the work of the devil instead of the work of the Lord. You are actively moving, working against the covenant relationship that you have with God. When we do this, we are just simply moving in the wrong direction. Think about it. When the Israelites were in the wilderness and they were getting angry about their situation, what did they say? We want to go back. We want to go back to Egypt, to slavery. They would literally rather have gone back to being slaves than keep moving in God's direction. Because it seemed to them like the promises of God were out of reach, like they weren't going to happen. And you know what? There were some of them that that was true for. Because if you think about it, there were 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. At least one whole generation of people would have died after leaving Egypt before they received the promised land. And they never saw it. They would not have gotten to see the fulfillment of God's promise about the land they were traveling to. Does that mean that God wasn't with them? Or that his promises weren't true? Not at all. God showed his provision for 40 years to these people. And it shows us that even if we don't see God fulfilling his promise the way that we think he should, the way we want it to happen, the way we want circumstances to be, if we don't see that come true the way we want, God is still with us. 
He is still faithful. He will still provide. He will still help us. His faithfulness goes with us along the way. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, verse 33. He's talking about worry in Matthew chapter 6, and he's saying, don't worry about the food you're going to eat and the clothes you're going to wear and the things you're going to do. People worry about that all the time. You don't need to worry about that. God's got that under control, right? God is here for you. He says, what should you do instead? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So if you're angry, if you're dealing with frustration, if you're dealing with a situation you can't control or even one that you might have influence in, but you're angry about it. You're sitting in that spot and you're not giving it over to God. What does he say? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek what God wants and all these things will be taken care of because God is faithful. Personally, I can understand why the Israelites got angry. I can understand. It's a hard situation. 40 years. I can't imagine what 40 years in the desert looks like. And I can understand why we might get angry when we face all kinds of trouble, all kinds of hardships in our lives. There would be no end to the list if we all were to share the troubles and hardships that we faced in our lives. You might feel stuck in a dead-end job. Maybe your boss treats you like trash. When you can't seem to reconcile that lasting hurt between someone that you care about and you. Maybe someone in your own family. That's hard. When your, your child won't listen to you. When he keeps hurting himself by the decisions he, he makes and he won't take your advice. When the money runs out before your bills do. When you see news reports of people having to flee from war-torn cities or getting beaten to death or all kinds of other terrible things that people do to one another, there is no shortage of things in the world that can make us angry. But my friends, there is hope for us. Even in the most difficult situations, even when we can't help but feel angry, See, we need to realize that when we're angry about something that we can control or something that we, we have an influence on, and then when we're angry about something that we can control or something we can influence, it's a question of our character. Are we willing to surrender to God in that moment? When we're angry about something we can't control, that's all we're doing. We're refusing to let God be in control. So when it's something that we can control— We need to be willing to surrender to God. In either case, what we do next with the anger that we have is up to us. Because God's goodness doesn't change no matter what our circumstances do. No matter what difficulties come our way, God's goodness is there. His faithfulness is there. So the answer that we have for that is trusting in him and seeking in him. Because he's the one who can lead us to the next step in our lives. When we're angry about something, we can look back at Ephesians 4 that says, In anger, do not sin. We can look back at Matthew 6 that says, Seek first his righteousness and he'll take care of the rest. Because anger can be justified, right? Anger isn't all just a flare-up of emotion. Anger can be justified. There are reasons to be angry. There are things that get us angry in a righteous sense. It can be the natural world that we live in. 
It's the natural result of that. But when anger flares up, we have a choice to let it explode or possibly we could use it for good. What does that mean? Well, I want you to think about a campfire. You know, a campfire is built for a purpose. You build a campfire for heat, maybe for energy, but if it's built too tall and it's built too powerful, what does it do? It starts to affect things around it. It starts to maybe damage things around it if it's built too, too large. It can actually do damage. It can start to spread. It can start to take over. But see, if it's controlled, if a campfire is controlled, it can be used to cook food, pizza rolls. <laughs> or it can be used to keep warm. There are good uses for a campfire. Anger can either lash out and do damage, or it can be surrendered to God for his use. And that's with a simple question, and that question is this. What do you want me to do with this? When you're angry, ask God, what do you want me to do with this? If we give in to being controlled by anger about our situation, we won't enjoy the benefits of this relationship we have with God. But if we surrender our anger to the Lord, then he might even be able to use it. Anger can be a strong motivator to act. So when we surrender to the Lord in the moment of being angry, God can give us the ability to act in a way that serves his kingdom and his purposes instead of our own. On February 14th, 2018, a young man, 19 years old, named Nicholas Cruz, opened fire on students and staff at Stoneman Douglas High School in the suburban Miami town of Parkland, Florida. Cruz murdered 17 people, 14 students, and three staff members. And this became the deadliest school shooting in the history of the United States, passing the one at Columbine High School in 1999. If I were to share with you the details of this story, everything that happened leading up to it, everything that happened during, and then the response of what happened after, it would affect all of us in different ways, but I think many of us would get angry. It's so sad. It's not fair. Why does this continue to happen? How can our children be kept safe? What can I do about this? That feeling of anger and wanting to do something is completely natural. Now, some people react by going on social media and making some angry posts about it. Some people write letters to the editor of their local newspaper. Some people initiate lawsuits. They try to hold people accountable, hold organizations accountable for what took place. No matter what our response in, it doesn't change the fact that these students and teachers lost their precious lives on that day. Anger is normal. Here in this case, anger is justified. But then we have to ask God, what do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to do with this? Well, leaders at another school came up with an idea. The school was Arbor Prep High School in Ypsilanti, Michigan. 
And these students and teachers came up with an idea called the National School Walk-Up. See, many people in response to this school shooting had planned a day they called a walkout, where in protest of school violence, they were going to walk out of school, walk out of class, and spend the day outside of school as a protest. We don't want to be there if it's not going to be safe. And I can understand that. But this idea for the school walk-up was something different. This was to to help people, to be nice to people, to walk up to them. See, walk up to someone who sits alone and ask them to sit with you. Walk up to someone who never has a voluntary partner to work with and offer to be that person's partner. Walk up to teachers, thank them for their work. See, because the shooter, Nicholas Cruz, he had suffered from mental anguish and mental health problems that were in part caused by how he was treated by other people. So this idea of the school walk-up was, was created to, to tackle one of the problems that led to the school shooting by saying, instead of allowing things to go on the way they have been, we're going to try and make sure that people don't feel like this. They don't feel lost. They don't feel alone. They don't feel angry. They don't feel violent toward other people. We're going to do something about it. So these people came up with this idea, and in March of 2018, one month after the shooting, the students at Arbor Prep were each given 17 sticky notes. They were encouraged to leave notes of kindness and encouragement for other students, and this was the result. The notes were placed onto every locker. Not one was left untouched. And the assistant principal, Danielle Ray, said, as I walked the halls, I was overcome with pride for these students. Not a single locker was untouched. They took special care to ensure that everyone from administration to the tech guy and even the custodian received some love. See, this is an act of love that started from a place of anger. My friends, I know that we want school shootings to end for good. We want no more lives lost, no more evil taking place around our kids, around our students. And we may or may not see a day where school shootings are no longer an issue, no longer a danger. But I believe that the goodness of God doesn't change despite our circumstances and the circumstances of the evil and difficult world. It's our covenant of relationship with God that can carry us through and lead us to do things like this, to turn anger into acts of love. See, in our relationship with God, we benefit from everything that he promises to us, everything that he gives to us, and we devote our lives to serving him. We receive love, we receive peace, we receive healing, and we receive grace, but we are also empowered to act out those things in the world. So this morning, I want to ask you, take a moment, turn your eyes inward, and ask, where is anger popping up in your life? Where does anger threaten you? How do you usually respond when you're angry? Have you felt like the Israelites? The promise of God seems just out of reach or like you might not get to see it happen at all. Do you look at your circumstances and get angry? Do the injustices and pain in the world get to you? 
you feel like you know what to do when you feel angry? Let's take a moment to reflect on that and then we will pray and surrender to God together. Lord, you are here with us today, and you are always with us. When we surrender to you, we are always free to enjoy our relationship with you. No matter what difficult things we face, will you please give us those moments, give us those reminders along the way where your faithfulness is on display, that you're always with us, you never leave us, you never forsake us. Will you remind us that you are our God and we are your children? And when we feel angry, Lord, help us to surrender to you. Help us to ask you what you want us to do with our anger, with our feelings. And lead us to the actions that serve your kingdom and your desires instead of our own. We commit to following you today. And as we wrap up our time of our sermon and hearing from your word, Lord, we pray that anyone here who needs to know you, who needs to receive a touch from you, whether this is the first day they choose to follow you or it's something where they need a change in their life by the power of your spirit, I pray that those people would be encouraged to come forward, to pray with our prayer team, to encounter your spirit in a new way today and to commit to following you from here on out. In Jesus' name.